0: understand what's going on. We know that John was the forerunner of Jesus. He knew that he was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. He did this in his ministry. He, he, he told people to repent. How many of us know it's important to know that we need to repent? And he was seeing people saved and his ministry was growing. It grabbed the attention of the spiritual leaders of the day. They're checking in, seeing what's going on. He calls them a brood of vipers and everything else. I mean John was a really, really intense guy. However, John saw Jesus, baptized Jesus, and pointed toward Jesus. And one day, some of his disciples got upset, and they came to John. And this is what they said in verse 26 of John chapter 3. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, everybody say "that that man. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, The one John testified about, this man that he talked to them about, he told them some things about this man, well he's baptizing, and everyone's going to him. In other words, John's disciples look at him and say, you just committed spiritual, political suicide, you stood up in church and you told everybody how great this guy is, and now everybody's starting to follow this man. He's over there at the Jordan and he's he's baptizing. And more people are going to him than they are coming to our church. These people were satisfied. They liked John as their pastor. They appreciated John as their leader. But John did something really stupid. He got up and he promoted another pastor. And he told him who he was. Listen to what John responds with in verse 27. To so this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sin ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. You see, in our culture today, this statement that John just made is is alien. We don't get it. That I must become less and and Jesus Christ must must become greater in my life. Unfortunately, people, especially in America, have a tendency to worry so much about themselves and promoting themselves and making sure that their image is right and making sure that people are worshiping them. That it doesn't make sense when somebody comes in and says, God must increase, I must decrease. I must become a nobody. John had done exactly what he was supposed to do. He came as the predecessor. He figured it out. Jesus is here. My job is done. I can back off. And everyone must go to the Messiah. I want to speak to us this morning about the greatness of our eternal God. Because God is so great that if we're not careful... We can get caught up in our everyday lives, even our religious routines and rituals, and completely miss out on who he is. Turn back with me to John chapter 1. John's disciples made this mistake because they had missed whom John had said Jesus was. They made this mistake because they didn't recognize the Messiah for who he was. Let's go back and see what John said. Remember they said, you testified about who? This man. They saw him as a man and they said, you testified about him. But let's go back and see what he actually said. John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. There's no question in that statement. There's no confusion in that statement. John was very clear from day one who this Jesus was. From day one, for 4,000 years, since Genesis chapter 3, for 4,000 years, the people were looking for this moment. They were looking for and seeking out this Messiah, this one that God the Father spoke of, this one that said the seed of the woman will be in an enmity and so on and so forth. And he says this, that her seed will produce and will crush the serpent's head and it will either strike or bruise his heel, depending on what version you're looking at. But the reality of it is, is from that moment forward with Adam and Eve in the garden prior to Cain and Abel, they were looking for the one that would take away the sin. For 4,000 years! And John stood up and said, This is the One. John recognized Him for who He was. He's the Savior. The Lamb that the Passover Lamb pointed toward. The Lamb that would be slain for the remission of our sins. The One that will save us from eternal separation from God. The One that we must believe upon and obey for salvation. John declared this, but still... When confronted by his disciples, they say, this man that you talked about the other day. This man, you want to know what is one of the most disheartening things as a pastor is for people to come in and out of the doors of the church and still view Jesus as a man. And still not see Him as the authority, the Son of God, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world, the one that people were seeking after and pursuing after, the only hope for salvation for us. He's a nice guy. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He's got a lot of nice things to say. you You know, but let's not get crazy, Pastor Bob. Let's not let this man come in and mess up our comfortable church. John goes further. And not only does he tell them that he's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, but he flat out says out loud, Jesus is the Son of God. He flat out says it in front of everybody. The statement had been made, clarity as to whom Jesus was, really was very, very clear. All those promises in Isaiah about the virgin birth, all those promises about Emmanuel, God with us, and, and, and now he stands here. And they call him a man. And I know, you say, Pastor Bobby was a man. He was tempted in every way, just as we were. Yes, he was 100% man. He had flesh, and yes, he was 100% God, but he was not created. He is God in the flesh, truly Emmanuel with us. He is greater than the statement, just a man. He is not just, I am just a man. He's the son of God. He is deity in flesh. He is deity incarnate. There's got to be a different approach. There's got to be a different understanding. And I challenge all of us today to make sure that he is becoming greater in our lives and we are becoming less. Because mankind has got a tendency to to treat Jesus with the same attitude that, that John's disciples did. They were good. They were religious people. We must not forget that there is a danger for religious people to fall into a rut and ignore the truth of the Word and not obey it. Each one of us is susceptible to it. Each one of us is in danger. He's greater than just being a man. He is the one that we live by every word that comes forth out of his mouth. It's my desire that God would increase in our lives and that we would decrease. And as I was preparing this message, the Lord kind of gave me this, some further equations that says where God is minimized, man is maximized. In other words, where God is not exalted, man will be exalted. Where man is exalted, where man is maximized, sin is minimized. In other words, when man is exalted, sin is not a big deal. We minimize it. We rationalize it. And when sin is minimized, it grows. And according to James 1.15, when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Our culture is proof of this. We live in a country today that is promoting sin like crazy because it has minimized who God is. It said that Jesus is just a man. They've said that He doesn't exist, that God doesn't exist, and we have exalted every philosophy, every teaching of man. Any man that comes in with any kind of a witty thing to say, we take that and make that the greatest thing we've ever heard. We minimize who God is. We exalt man. And the reality of our culture is is that we have rationalized every possible sin that you can find in the book. It's the truth. It's where we are. And unfortunately, it's not just the world. In churches right now, all across America, you can find some of the most illicit, disgusting things happening in people's personal lives that darken the door and sit in pews every day. Why? Because we have made God small. And we have exalted ourselves. And we have made sin small. And we have rationalized it. And we have okayed it in our personal thoughts and processes. And we have lived it out. And we have lied to ourselves and looked at our Savior as a man rather than the Savior. We have attitudes that said, I can live however I want to live. And I will never give an account to it. And we have minimized God. I'm telling you, someday each and every one of us is going to stand before a holy, mighty God and give an account for every word we have spoken, every deed we have done in the flesh. God is great and He needs to be treated as great. He needs to be revered as great. I can tell you that a compromised mindset of who the Father is, a compromised attitude that's self-glorifying and full of pride, this attitude and this ground is fertile soil to grow sin. So what do we do, Pastor? We've got to get the right perspective of who the Father is. We've got to get the right perspective of who Jesus Christ is, who God is, our triune God that we follow and that we say we obey. We need to find out who He is and have the right perspective because we go from day to day with a perspective that says, I'll never have to give an account. So how do we get the right perspective? Number one, The reason John agreed that he must become greater is because he knew who he was. He knew Jesus who he was. He was eternal. Look at John 1 again, verse 30. Look at what he says about Jesus. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Sounds a little bit like a riddle, doesn't it? A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. The Father had told him that he was the Lamb and the Son of God, but more than that, John understood that Jesus was God and even referred to his eternal nature. He has surpassed me because he was before me. In other words, he's greater than me because he always has been. He's greater than me because of His eternal nature. The one who's coming after me isn't natural. He's greater than me because He has surpassed me. He surpassed me because He was before me. You see, He looked at His eternal nature and saw that God... Was, was, was eternal and that for, with him there was no beginning and there was no end. How many of you like to look at old pictures? I love looking at old pictures. I just got one this morning. Aretha just showed me a picture this morning uh, when she was a young girl. You were in that picture, weren't you? You talked so much about my dad. You weren't in that one. My aunt was. And they were all sitting outside of the old gospel tabernacle out here. It's a neat picture. But I love looking at these old pictures. And, and I, I'm on Facebook, I'm, I'm, uh, there's a, a page called, if you, you, you know you're from Covington, Indiana, win or something like that. And people keep posting these old pictures. I love looking at the ones where you've got a picture of the square downtown, and it's full of horse and buggies and just packed full of people in their black suits. And I mean, they just look good. They're going to town. They got dressed up and went to town. It, it's, it's really cool to look at that. They had some put up here recently. One of them was of the old Lyric movie theater. Does anybody remember the Lyric movie theater? Any, any of you never went inside because you're afraid you're going to go to hell? Any of you? Okay. <laughs> we must have come out of that a little bit, because I remember being a little kid and going in there a couple of times and, uh, and I could still tell you how, the, how it was staged and you could go in and I, I remember where the candy uh, display was because I used to get those little caramel creams uh, things and I'd sit there and chew on those and watch a movie. And I, I've only, I think I only went to a couple movies there and I, I can still tell you how, this, how it was all set up, how cold the bathroom was in the winter time. It, it would develop ice in the toilet. It was cold. There was a picture of Baxter Drugstore. Baxter's. Anybody remember Baxter's? I can still walk in the door and look to the left where the counter was and see where everything was in the store. There was the uh, the pharmacy in the back. I didn't know why everybody's up on a pedestal, but still, Derek, you all stand up. You're above everybody else, aren't you? I don't know why pharmacists do that. It must be a I don't know. But anyway. I knew that there was a wall they're looking over and everything. I remember doing that with, as a kid. And, and uh, I remember the, the matchbox display down on the floor because I would always beg for more matchbox cars when I would leave every time. And there was a restaurant upstairs. The stairs that go up the right side. And up there was a place where uh, you could serve, uh, get a burger and, and some different things. I think mom worked up there for a little bit. And when I was a little kid, you could go get a real cherry Coke, bless God. The kind where you got the Coke and they do the pump and then stir it up. That's, yes, yes! Baxter Drugs, I remember that. And they had a picture, too, of Ben Franklin. And Ben Franklin, I remember. Of course, Greg and Joyce probably remember it too well, don't you guys? You used to own it. But way back being a little kid and going in and I could tell you where the toys were. I could tell you right where the, the, the model cars and the glue and the paint and stuff was. I could even almost tell you where Pearl was every time i go through the door and she was trying to tell you to leave toys alone. You know what I'm saying? Pearl with the glasses and the chain and she was always looking to see who was playing with the toy. <laughs> Faust and Fry, there was a picture on there of Faust and Fry. We'd go there and we'd get fish hooks and sinkers and minnow traps. We'd ride our bikes into town on a summer day and get all that stuff. They're all gone. And so when the pictures were up, I'm like, yes! And I could just, I could go there. You say, why did you bring all that up? Those had a beginning and they had an end. Think back with me. Think back before Covington even had a square or a courthouse and they were just starting to get this land from the government to make it a Troy Township. And this was the Vance section here. And there was no property. There was no houses Nothing but trees and hills and farms are going, wow, pastor, that's hard for me to think about. Well, think back further. Before the United States was even a nation, it was still undiscovered by, by us, uh, those of us that obviously transported over here. There was no New York City. There was no Washington, D.C. You weren't going to pull in fly in on a plane or pull in a boat to a nice dock where people greeted you. It was just an empty land full of Native Americans that had their places that they lived and traveled and dwelled in. Think back further. Think back before there wasn't even a nation in in Europe or in Africa. Think back to where there was was not even a Tower of Babel. Think pre-flood with me. Go back to a time to where there were just one man and one woman on this earth because that's how God created them. Nothing. Go back further than that. No stars in the sky. No earth. No planets. Nothing spoken into existence. And you're only going to find one thing. Before angels, before everything else. God. God. That's it. See, John understood this about God. He's greater than me because He was before me. You know, it's hard for us in prideful America... People in general, anywhere around the world, full of themselves, have this mentality to think that we know and see everything. But God is eternal, and, he, and, and even before any man was ever created, God was there. And listen to what God says about himself, about his eternal nature in Exodus 3, verses 13, beginning of verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and, they, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. God refers to himself as I am. I am eternal. I'm self-existent. I am the covenant-keeping God. He points out that he's greater than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your fathers, your forefathers, those that you think are great, they bowed to me. And look, they are gone. I'm still here. It's the God we serve today is the same God that Adam and Eve walked with. It's the same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob bowed to. It's the same God because before any of us, He was, I am. And we see Jesus using the same terminology, I am. Seven times He uses the reference, I am, in the book of John. I am the gate, I am the way, I am the good shepherd. We can look at many of these examples where Jesus himself speaks of himself as being transcendent. If we look at it in John 8, flip over to John 8. This nature that the Father had, the Son also has, because the three are one. John 8, verse 54, Jesus replied. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know Him, I know Him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. I like how Jesus talks to people. I'd be a liar just like you. Liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. But I do know Him and keep His words. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus made clear that he was greater than even Abraham before Abraham was, I am. Just as John said that Jesus was greater because he was before him, now Jesus said that he was greater than even Abraham because he was before him. We must embrace the greatness of God, this greatness that is found in his eternal nature. Jesus said that Abraham did two things. One, he rejoiced at the thought of seeing his day. He had heard promises from God about the promise of being a father of many nations. He promised him of a seed that would come from him. He spoke of the branch with all these things that we look at. And Abraham looked ahead and believed God for that which seemed impossible and rejoiced in it. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you stood by somebody's bed and they were sick and you rejoiced instead of saying, oh my, I don't know if we can do this. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, my goodness. Instead. Instead, we should have the faith of Abraham that says, My God is big enough. He's eternal. He spoke all things into existence. Praise God because He is able to make you well. Abraham looked ahead and by faith had joy because he could see and believe what God has said was being true. The second thing is he he, he saw it with his eyes. He saw it. Not only did he believe it, he saw it and he was glad. He saw Jesus and he was glad. But the problem with this statement is this. You have one man of faith who sees an eternal God, believes in Him and then sees miraculously, visually, which we could go into great detail with. That's a really cool study to do that. Sees Jesus and he has joy and is glad. But these men looked at him and could not get past the natural. You're, only 50 years, you're not even 50 years old. How could you? And he said, before Abraham was even born, I am. And the reaction of the people was this. They picked up stones. This one who was declared the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, this one that was declared the Messiah, the Son of God, This one now that has told them that he himself is eternal. He wasn't created, he wasn't conceived. And they say, you know what? We reject you. We can't get past the fact that you look like a man. We can't get past the idea, you surely, sir, are a liar. 59 says, that this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself. This God, Yahweh, is eternal, a covenant-keeping God that promised their ancestor Abraham the Messiah. Abraham rejoiced in the thought and was glad to have foreknowledge of that day. That day was now before them, and they reacted in their flesh rather than in the knowledge of who he was. They saw his day, and they were not rejoicing in it. Sometimes I'm afraid that we miss out on what God has for us because we're comfortable with some form of self-exalting and God-minimizing religion. If we aren't careful, religion can drive us to be like the Pharisee. We find a comfortable place in our religion, we minimize who God is, we exalt ourselves to positions with too much authority, so when He shows up, and I say when because He always shows up, we have a decision to make. Will I make Him great or will I minimize Him? As I say that statement, I want us to understand that you cannot make God less or more than what He is. That statement about making God great is, how do I see Him? Do I see Him for who He is? Or do I set Him up with human standards? Do I lower Him to my standards? We can't challenge Him with our prideful arguments. We can't rip Him apart in His law, commands, or anything else. All you and I can do is lay as dead until Jesus Christ, the mediator, comes and touches us, encouraging us to get up. So we're left with a choice. You're going to pick up stones or you're going to submit. Before you make that decision, let me encourage you with a few things. This God that we serve is an eternal God. And there's some eternal things that I think we need to understand are available to us that if we refuse Him and we only look at Him in the natural and we make Him small in our mind, small in our lives, that you're going to miss out on. And I just want to let you know what some of these things are really quick. First of all, eternal life. Eternal life. John 5, 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. What this eternal God is offering us if we believe upon His Son, Jesus Christ, if we we surrender to Him, if we follow Him instead of accuse Him, what He's saying is, is you'll have eternal life. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. You see, God is infinite. We are finite. What does that mean? God is eternal in both, both directions. Past and future. Always has been, always will be. You and I are finite. We have we may be eternal, but we have a beginning. We're created. We were created, and the breath of God breathed into our lungs, and we have become a living soul, an eternal being that we're going to live for all eternity. Here's the difference if we believe upon Jesus Christ, we will be given eternal life. We will exist forever. But if we refuse Jesus Christ, we will exist in separation from God, which is not called eternal life. It's called the second death. It's a death that never ends. It's a death in life that that continues throughout all eternity, eternity through eternal punishment. That's our choice. We believe upon Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, and we can receive eternal life. Listen, you say, Pastor, I can't think of that. We just thought about everything disappearing in the past. Just try to, in your mind, imagine a million years from now in the presence of God. We can't even fathom it. And a million years doesn't even scratch the surface of eternity. Folks, this... God that we serve loves us and has made a way for us to have eternal life with Him. If you give up on Him and you turn away from Him and say, I want nothing to do with Him, you give up your eternal body. 2 Corinthians five one. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, from God, everybody say from God, from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Not built by human hands. In other words, you cannot make your body be eternal. (laughs) I'm 42 years old. Things are changing. Amen? Amen? And I don't care how many push-ups, sit-ups. You can eat healthy. You can eat everything perfect. You can tune into those weird Christian channels that show you those weird Christian supplements that if you take it, it's the perfect thing and you're, and you're always going to be healthy from now to eternity. It's a lie! Because you got to die at some point. It's not going to stop you from dying. If you eat all the Jewish custom food that's for our good and not for our harm, and you follow that to a T, congratulations, you'll do well, and and it'll help you for a little bit, but it's not going to give you an eternal body. There is no fountain of youth. It's going to end. You understand? We're all in agreement with that, right? Should the Lord tarry 100% of life ends in death. We know that. It's a good statistic. Remember that. Write it down. My point is this. You and I can't earn that on our own. God gives it to us. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. And it's an eternal thing. Eternal body without sickness, without disease, without temptation, without immorality. A body that is going to be perfect exactly like our Savior. If we, if we turn our back on Him, we turn our back on uh, an eternal life that will continue throughout all, all eternity Full of blessing. Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Uh, The enemy wants us in our natural life to give up the eternal for the temporary pleasures. Jesus himself said, what does a man profit? What does he gain? If he gains the whole world and forfeits his very soul. Well, you gain nothing. You want to know why? Because everything I accumulate on this earth is all going to burn up someday. Everything, my house, my wealth, everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It's all going to pass away. I told him in the early service, it reminded me of the joke. Of the, I won't tell you the whole joke. The old joke where the rich man, the wealthy man wanted to go to heaven. And they said, hey, good news. You get to bring one thing with you on your way here. And he said, awesome. He said, I love my money and I love all my possessions. So he sold everything, had it put into gold bricks. And he had them, had them in a suitcase and he come up to heaven. And they said, you ready to come in? He said, yep. He said, what'd you bring? And they opened it up and he said, you brought Asphalt? We're going to be walking on streets of gold. Doesn't matter what you... You can't accumulate anything. Anything you accumulate here other than a soul is worthless. It's going to pass away. So God is offering us an eternity of blessings, heavenly blessings, blessings that you cannot bring in on your own, just like a house that you didn't build. Now these are eternal blessings. They're at the right hand of the Father. This God that we serve is so vast, so eternal, so huge, that so deep. There's no way we can understand all of Him even throughout all of eternity. And He's going to continue to bless us. There will be no more conflict by any other kingdom. Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all His promises and loving towards all He has made. Never again will there ever be another conflict, another war. ISIS is not going to be in heaven. They don't serve our God. Nor any other Muslim extremist. They don't serve our God. Nor any other Muslim. Period. They don't serve our God. Now I'm not saying be happy because people are going to hell. I'm just telling you, if they don't repent and come under the hand of Jesus Christ, they're not going to be there and there's not going to be any conflict because anybody that comes under the hand of Jesus Christ is going to submit to His laws. Yeah, for a little while we're going to have to deal with it. But I'm telling you what, folks, when we get into eternity and we're in the presence of God, no more conflict. No more fighting, no more trouble. He has established Himself King of kings, Lord of lords, everlasting dominion. Justice will be eternal. Psalm 119, 160. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Listen, we can't, we can't deal with this. There's no way. We are fighting with people. We, we twist laws so much here in America. But I'm telling you, there's coming today in the presence of God, there will be no injustice and there will be no laws twisted. Lastly, the covenant made with Abraham and completed at the cross by Jesus is a covenant that invites us into the eternal blessings of God. Genesis 17, verse 7. I will establish, these are God's words, I will establish my covenant. As an everlasting, everybody say everlasting. everlasting, because He is an eternal God. It's everlasting, everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The work is done and completed on the cross through Jesus Christ, one sacrifice sufficient for all time, all past sins, all future sins. It is good enough, it is finished and God is making true on His covenant, and folks, I'm telling you what, if you will submit yourself to Jesus Christ, if you will see how great God is, and you enter into that covenant, all eternity, throughout all eternity, it's good enough. That blood that's shed once is good enough for all eternity. There'll be no change in your mind. There'll be no going back. God's not going to suddenly disown you. Not something else is going to come up. It is done, God said, through this sacrifice... So let me bring us back to our question. This God, is He greater than you? Yes. I sense the Holy Spirit in those statements. Yes, He is. He is a great, big, wonderful, powerful God. He is eternal. And we need to honor Him as such, there's a lot of great, wonderful blessings ahead for us, child of God, lots and lots and lots of them. Not things we've earned, not things that we, we've, we can have accomplished and build up in our lives. No, 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 no. It's because God, this eternal God that created us, loves us. He's made a way. He's made a way for us to have eternal blessings. Earlier I told you an equation. I said, when God is minimized... man is maximized. When man is maximized, sin is minimized. And when sin is minimized, it grows. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. But I want to add to that. If you will turn and exalt or maximize God in your life again, The Scripture says in Romans that where sin or the trespass did increase, that grace increased all the more. Thank you, God, for grace. And that if you will exalt God, you'll become small. Sin will become a big deal again. And you're going to find life eternal. That's what God desires for us today. Will you bow your heads with me?